Well, good, good morning. And happy Easter. Good to have you here with us this morning. We're honored that you would uh, take time out to be a part of our Easter celebration. Uh, we've got some great stuff to talk about this morning. And uh, we've been in a series actually for the past few weeks where we've been really taking one word, talking about that word and seeing how it applies in our lives. Uh, each of these words are actually words that can change our lives if we do apply them, if we do practice them. Um, we talked about the word no and creating, you know, saying no to certain things in our lives and creating space in our lives so that we can hear from God and be impacted by him. We talked about the word yes and how all the promises of God are yes to us in Christ Jesus. And what does that mean practically? We spent some time dwelling on that. And then we had a week where we talked about sorry. And uh, that was actually an ugly look at ourselves. You realize how ugly you look when I look out at you and, by, you know, <laughs> If we can actually bear the soul, you know, there's some unpretty stuff in us, if we're all honest. And we talk about what do we do with that? How do we deal with that? And then last week, we talked about the word enough, because our culture tells us that, you know, our happiness really rests in this thing of getting more, more, and more, you know, uh, and that our happiness rests in the stuff that we have, and the stuff we possess, and the stuff we, we grip tight-fistedly. And uh, that's a lie. That's actually a lie. And then uh, today, Easter, we have a special word for today as well, a word that captures our response to the message of Easter, a word that reflects, I think, what a, an appropriate response might be to the resurrection. And I would ask you to imagine with me, if you would, in the next few moments, imagine that you were living a little over 2,000 years ago when this man, Jesus, walked the earth. And imagine that you listened to him and you followed him. You heard him teach like nobody had ever taught before. You watched a guy live a life uh, different than anybody else had ever lived before. You watched him love people uh, in a different way than other people loved people. And so you decided to become a follower of his. And you left everything for that. You left your home. You left your family. You left your work to go follow him. And people said, you're nuts. You're crazy. Why would you do that? But you didn't care. Because you were convinced that this man got it. This man got it. This man was different. This man was going to change the world. And he was putting together a little community of people that he was going to use to change the world. And for a while, it was an, an amazing adventure that you had. And then one Sunday, you were with him as he entered into Jerusalem. And everybody there was just cheering him on. In fact, they wanted to make him a king. Uh, people were excited. They were shouting things like, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. They wanted and they hoped that Jesus would overthrow their oppressors, the Romans. That's what they were looking for. But Jesus wouldn't be that kind of king. And so things went south really fast, if you know the story. By Friday, what we call Good Friday, this man that you had given everything to follow was dead. And not just dead, he was crucified like a common criminal. And that meant, of course, the failure of not just the man Jesus, but the failure of the Jesus movement. And so you're understandably depressed and discouraged. And then on Sunday, you go to the tomb because what else do you have to do? And it's very confusing there at the tomb. For one thing, the tomb is empty. 
And you're scratching your head wondering, what is this about? What does this mean? And the stone at the entrance had been rolled away. And the Roman guards who had been put there to make sure nobody took the body, they're gone. And then, too, there's this angel. (laughs) And the angel says, he's not here. He has risen just as he said he would. And so you go and you tell everybody the good news, what you've discovered. And that'll probably be dangerous. The Romans will probably try to kill you for it. But then again, they killed Jesus and he seems to be doing pretty well. (laughs) So you go tell everybody, you know what? Hate is out. Love is in. Evil is overcome. The crucified carpenter from Nazareth is now the master of the universe. Jesus Christ is risen. And what do you think would be the first words out of your mouth if you were the one hearing that message? What would you say? You know, there's a tradition. Some of you have already been using it this morning. It's been around for a long, long time in the church. It's it's said at gatherings just exactly like this. Somebody will say, Jesus Christ is risen. And then you say, there you go. It's a beautiful statement. It's a beautiful sentiment. But I doubt that anybody's response on that first Sunday following the resurrection was quite that polished, you know, (laughs) quite that rehearsed. We've done that a lot. We've said that a lot. I think that first Sunday morning when they heard that message, hey, y'all, you're not going to believe this. Jesus, the carpenter, Jesus, the crucified rabbi, he's not dead. He is risen. I think when people heard that news, they probably just said, wow, wow. And that's our word for Easter. Wow. Wow is what we say when something happens that turns the world upside down. We didn't see it coming, and uh, we don't quite know how to take it all in. Wow is an expression of wonder. It's an expression of awe. It's what we say when we're dumbstruck. Uh, It's interesting. Every language has a word for wow. Every language. Wow is what you say in a moment of shock. If you don't say wow, something else that people will say is, oh, my God. Have you ever said that? Ever heard anybody say that? Yeah, in a moment of shock. Or it's wow. And because in those moments, the soul, our soul, knows that there is something or someone bigger than us. There just is. And so I want to talk to you in the moments that we have together this morning about this Easter word, this this word of wow, because it has something to teach us. Uh, Now, the truth is, our reality, the world in which we lived, is actually filled with wows. Our universe was built on one giant wow. There's a book that I read a few years ago. It's a great book. It's written by uh, a guy by the name of Eric Metaxas. It's called Miracles. And the first chapter is especially good, I would say. And in it, he says this. He says, in 1966, Time Magazine ran a cover story asking, is God dead? And many have accepted the cultural narrative that he's obsolete, that as science progresses, there's less need for a God to explain the universe. And yet it turns out that the rumors of God's death were premature. More amazing is the fact that the relatively recent case for his existence comes from a surprising place, science itself, presenting an argument for God. Here's the story. The same year that Time featured the now-famous headline, uh, Is God Dead?, the astronomer Carl Sagan, anybody remember Carl Sagan? Happens that Carl Sagan is dead now, but anyway, uh, the astronomer Carl Sagan announced that there were two important criteria for a planet to support life. 
the right kind of star was one of those criteria, and a planet that's the right distance from that star. Given, the roughly, given that they're roughly uh, an octillion, that's a one followed by 27 zeros, if you can imagine. Given the roughly octillion planets in the universe, there should have been about septillion, that's a one with 24 zeros following it. There should have been about septillion planets capable of supporting life. So, you know, the odds are pretty good. There's other life out there. But something happened. As our knowledge of the universe increased, it became clear that there were far more factors necessary for life than Sagan supposed. His two parameters grew to 10 and then to 20 and then to 50. And so the number of potentially life-supporting planets decreased accordingly. The, the number dropped to a few thousand planets and kept on plummeting. As factors continued to be discovered, the number of possible planets hit zero, but it didn't stop there. It kept going. In other words, the odds turned against any planet in the universe supporting life, including this one upon which we live. Probability said that even we shouldn't be here. And so today there are more than 200, not two, 200 known parameters necessary for a planet to support life. And every single one of them must be perfectly met or the whole thing, the whole universe goes to pot, wouldn't exist. Now, Metaxas mentions things, you know, supporting his argument, things like the placement of the planet Juniper, Jupiter and its Juniper, and Jupiter and, and its gravitational pull and how it pulls meteorites and asteroids and things like that away from its, their trajectory towards Earth. Uh, another one he mentions are the values of the four fundamental forces. This would be gravity and the electromagnetic force and the strong and weak nuclear forces. You alter any one of just these four, any one, just a little bit, the slightest amount, and the universe could not exist. And he has all kinds of examples like that. But the point is this. The odds against the universe existing are so heart-stoppingly astronomical that the notion that it all just happened defies common sense. Uh, he gave an analogy, which I thought was interesting. He said, it would be like tossing a coin and having it come up heads 10 quintillion times in a row. That's a 10 with 18 zeros. Try that, see if that works. So here's the deal. The greatest wow of all time, second to one, the greatest wow of all time is the universe itself. It's this planet that we inhabit. It's this universe where we live, which ineluctably points to something or someone beyond itself, I would argue. But then there are other wow moments. I mean, I, I want to be clear. There are lots of wow moments that happen. Um, for example, the Wright brothers build a machine and all of a sudden human beings can fly. Can I get a wow? wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Decades later, Neil Armstrong steps onto the moon. I remember watching that as a young man. Anybody here see that? Anybody see? Yeah. Can I get a wow? Yeah, there you go. The Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Yeah, there you go. You're with me. That's good. The point is this. Our universe is filled with wows. Uh, but it's not just the universe, your life, my life, specifically, individually, filled with all kinds of wow moments. The birth of a baby, that's a big wow, is it not? 
Uh, visit the Grand Canyon sometime. I'll never forget when I first did. Uh, we parked in the parking lot. You know, we drove up to it. I couldn't see the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's, it's actually a hole. It's can't, you know. But anyway, uh, I, and I got out of the car and I walked over to a rail and I, I'm looking at this thing and it's like, wow. Wow, it's so much bigger than I thought it would be. Getting a driver's license, that's a wow, is it not? Do you remember? Yeah, it's a big wow. Meeting a girl, meeting a guy, falling in love, proposing, getting married, going on a honeymoon. Wow. <laughs> Every life has wow moments. Friends, the universe is built on wow. Birth and death and everything in between, wow. And we're here to talk about the greatest wow of all time. And I want to walk through three things about this great wow, this thing of the resurrection of Jesus. These are, are simply true, but they're also profoundly important for us. Here's the first one. The resurrection really happened. I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about that. The second thing, the resurrection changed everything. We'll talk about that. And then the resurrection is deeply personal. Why? Because it's transformative. We'll talk about that as well. When understood... Uh, these things can profoundly alter the course of a person's life. First thing, the resurrection really happened. This is important uh, because in our day, often there's a lot of fuzzy thinking at this time of year, at this holiday time of Easter. Fuzzy thinking about the resurrection. It goes something like this. People think, well, you know, Jesus, he was probably real, a real guy. He existed. Um, he was probably a good man. He was, had to be a good teacher, deeply inspirational and all that. But after all, he was just a man. And when he died, understandably, people who followed him and appreciated him missed him. Some folks felt like his spirit was still lingering on, felt this sense of his presence. So that turned into kind of mythic stories about things like resurrections and other religious folklore. And this could happen back then because in the ancient world, you understand, people were really naive. People were very gullible. People were superstitious, so they would believe crap like that, okay? They shouldn't have, but they did. Okay, so really, at best, the stories about Jesus' resurrection should be understood as just sort of symbolic reflections on the cycle of life, new beginnings, starting over, and things of that nature. Now, I want to explain why, for the New Testament writers, the ones who wrote these letters and these books, the resurrection did not mean that at all. It was not mythical. It was not symbolic. They presented it, in fact, as something that really happened in human history. And frankly, a lot rides on this because I got news for you. If what we're talking about right now didn't happen, you are massively wasting your time. And if you gave any money, you massively wasted your money. But thanks anyway. So <laughs> there's an Oxford scholar. His name is Richard Bauckham. He's a brilliant guy. He wrote a fascinating book. It's called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And in this book, he talks about the Gospels being books of eyewitness testimony. And he talks about how in the ancient world, in Rome and in Greece as well, there were folks who were quite serious about writing history. Uh, they wanted to tell us about things that really did happen, not myth, not folklore. It was a very different genre of writing than that. And so these people are serious historians. And so they would always talk about and quote and refer to eyewitnesses, people who were there, people who experienced the events, people who knew exactly what had happened. Their histories were built on eyewitness testimony. And he points out that uh, this is actually the genre of the New Testament Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
Uh, the, take the Gospel of Luke, for example. Look how it begins. It begins this way. It, it, right out of the gate, it says, this is serious history. It says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Here's the point. Regardless of what you or I might think about what Luke wrote, understand Luke did not intend us to understand his writings as symbolic religious myth or story. That was not his intent. And Bauckham tells us that in the ancient histories uh, that were meant to be taken seriously as histories, eyewitnesses played the same role as footnotes do today in books that are written. If somebody writes something today and they're serious about it and they want to be taken seriously, they will cite uh, different types of evidence, different authors and things of that nature in footnotes. What they're saying is, hey, you can check it out. Check out what I'm saying. What I'm saying is backed up by fact. And those footnotes let us see that a person even uh, in that era wanted to be taken seriously or somebody in our era wants to be taken seriously uh, in the academic world. In physics textbooks, uh, peer-reviewed journal articles, uh, CSU research, there are footnotes. Uh, in light, fluffy, symbolic stories, there are no footnotes. There are no footnotes in Dr. Seuss. There are no footnotes in the Very Hungry Caterpillar. There are no footnotes in the University of Colorado research. So <laughs> there you are. Almost nobody reacted in the first service. There were no graduates of the you know, University of Colorado. Anyway, just seeing if you're awake. But here's the deal. You see, we see this dynamic of footnoting through eyewitnesses all over the Gospels. The Gospel of Mark, we read in chapter 15, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Mark notes that there's a guy named Simon, but Simon was a really common name, so that could be anybody. So he wants us to know who it is. It's Simon from Cyrene, and not just any Simon from Cyrene. It's the Simon of Cyrene who was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Bauckham says that the reason we're given these names is because they can substantiate and verify the truth of what's being written. Um, Mark is saying, hey, if you don't believe me, guys, Check out my eyewitnesses. Consider the footnotes. This really happened. That's what Mark is saying. It matters that these facts are factual. Uh, we see the same dynamic of eyewitness testimony all over the Gospels. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, again, in the accounts of Jesus' life, include the names of the eyewitnesses who saw that the tomb was empty that Sunday morning. They, these are the people who heard the message, Jesus is risen. In fact, they proclaimed that message. In each case, the first eyewitnesses at the empty tomb are women. Now, we don't think much about that when we read it, but this would have been very striking in the ancient world. Because in the ancient world, women were generally not regarded as credible witnesses. In Rome and Greece, uh, also in ancient Israel, women generally were not allowed to serve as eyewitnesses in a court of law or in a legal proceeding. And you see this dynamic at work a little bit even here in the Gospel of Luke because Luke is writing about the resurrection 
And this is what he says. He says it was Mary Magdalene. Notice the names. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this. That is the story of the resurrection. He's not there. The tomb is empty. To the apostles. But they, the men, the apostles, did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Can you believe there was a time when men were slow to embrace what women tell them? Thank God it's so different today. The women came saying, Jesus Christ is risen. And the men said, fake news, fake news. And it wasn't until some of the men actually saw the risen Jesus that they began to take this seriously. They had no alternative. Now, here's the point. If the stories of the resurrection were just made up mythical stories trying to convince gullible people about some higher spiritual truth, people would have never made up the part about women being the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. It would have been counterproductive if they were making these things up. And yet in every single gospel, it is women who are listed that way. The only reason women are listed as the first eyewitnesses is because they were the first eyewitnesses. Again, nobody would have made it up. The writers were taking the historicity of the resurrection seriously, and they mean us to as well. So whatever you may think about these accounts, they are representing or presenting the resurrection as something that really did happen. Why? Well, that leads us to the next point. Because of this next truth, the resurrection, you see, changed everything. It really did. It changed everything. To this day, we date human history by the life of that one man who lived and died and came back from the dead. As I said earlier, we all have wow moments in our lives, but those wow moments don't usually dramatically change the course of history. I remember the first time I ever climbed a 14er. I got up top. It was a lot of work. But when I got up there and I'm looking around, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. But the world just, you know, went right on. It wasn't that impressed with what I had done. First time I ever went to Moab. I love mountain biking. Got the mountain bike there. It was like, wow, this is amazing. But the world just kept right on spinning. We all have wow moments and they are great, but they kind of just come and go. Problems keep coming. Life keeps happening. Death keeps happening. But once, understand, there was a man named Jesus. And he came and he lived like nobody had ever lived before. And he taught like nobody else had ever taught before. In fact, he said things like this. God is real. God is love. And he loves you. He loves you more than even a good mother or a loving father love you. God cares about you. God is infinitely good. God is merciful. God cares about justice and will bring about justice in the world. And there was this this amazing movement that started and formed around Jesus. And then Jesus died. And it seemed like the movement would die with him. Because that Saturday... After Jesus had died, there was nothing left of that movement. Nothing. The disciples were despairing. The disciples were hiding. The disciples were hopeless. And then all of a sudden, Sunday comes, and it's game on again. All of a sudden. 
And a lot of people miss this, that Christianity is quite unique among all other faiths on earth. It's the only faith that did not develop gradually over time. One day it did not exist. And then the next day it did. And people were ready to die for it. And this is not fiction. This is historical fact. People, lots of people died for the fact that they chose to follow Jesus because they knew he was alive. Now, interestingly, Jesus is kind of casual about his own resurrection. Um, And yet it's out of his resurrection that this community called the church is birthed, a very imperfect community. But the community of the church gets birth. Uh, We're told in Matthew's gospel, it says, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he says. You you, you realize that's like saying hi. (laughs) Oh, hi. What'd what'd you expect? (laughs) I'm back, you know. And notice what what happens. It says, "They, they came to him, and they clasped his feet. And then you see what's next. And worshiped him. These are Jewish women. They they worshipped him. Yesterday, he was a crucified criminal. He was a failed attempt at Messiah. Today, he is Lord of the universe. They fall at his feet and they worship him. You see, his way, the way of servanthood, the way of humility, the way of love, the way of self-sacrifice wasn't thwarted one bit by a cross. In fact, it turned the cross into the most recognizable symbol in all of human history. It said you don't have to live in fear anymore because fear has been overcome on the cross. You don't have to live in defeat anymore because you are no longer defeated because of the cross. You will have ultimate victory one day. Nations will rise and nations will fall. Civilizations will come and they will go. But the shadow of this one man haunts the human race 2,000 years later like no other. His resurrection changed everything. Everything. And the power that resurrected Jesus can be at work in your life and in mine. And that's the third great truth. The resurrection is deeply personal and deeply powerful. Whatever's going on in your life, we all face this this wonder of being born. And then we live life with, with lots of wows and lots of owls. I mean, there's all kinds of things mixed in there. And then we face the fact that our lives will come to an end. Biblical writers write about this actually quite a bit. In the book of uh, Hebrews that's in the New Testament, the writer of, the author of Hebrews says this, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. That means deliverance and healing and forgiveness to those who are waiting for him, it says. So question. Are you waiting for him? I mean, here's the truth about you. The biggest wow of your existence is yet to come. The most amazing moment in your life will be the moment immediately after you die. And we don't talk about this much, but it's a good thing to talk about it now and again. And it's especially good to talk about it at Easter because it will come your way. This thing of death. A little kid comes running out of his bedroom and he says to his mother, Mom, is it true that, that from dust we are made and to dust we return? And his mom says, well, yeah. 
Why do you ask? And he says, well, I don't know, but I was just under my bed and somebody's either coming or going. <laughs> and it's true. Somebody is always coming or going. That's just true. And the moment will come in your life when your life will be over and then something amazing is going to happen. Either you will see God and let me tell you, that's going to be a wow moment. Or the Bible says you will face an eternity without God. Wow. That will not be a good moment. And God doesn't want you to face eternity without him. And so he says, come to me. That's why he sent his son to live a life we could observe, to die on a cross, to pay for our sins. And Jesus says, come follow me. He says, I will give you my grace and my love and my forgiveness for all those times you messed up. My grace and forgiveness are free gifts. You don't earn them. I'll come into your life and I'll be a part of your life every moment that you live. And then when you die, you will come to be with me forever for all of eternity. You see, that one moment after you die, not only will you be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, if you are walking with him, if you have faith in him, if you trust him, you will be celebrating your own resurrection. And that'll be a huge, wow, wow, Jesus. And what I want to do right now is I, I want us to say that old liturgy uh, together where I say Jesus Christ is risen only instead of you saying he is risen indeed, I want to ask you if you would say, wow. Yes. And I, I want you to say it with lots of thoughtfulness. Consider what you're saying. Now, here's why we're doing this. The death and the resurrection of Jesus means that sin your sin and mine, those sins are forgiven. The death of Jesus means that your death and my death are taken care of so that we can now have hope and we can have purpose and we can have meaning and we can have confidence that this life is not all there is. And because of that too, you know, we have a message if we know Jesus, something to share with others. We have a destiny. Love has triumphed over hate. Now, not just that, the resurrection of Jesus also means that creation itself, which has suffered because of sin, is gonna be redeemed. It's gonna be restored one day. And all suffering will be repealed and every loss will be restored. That God himself will wipe away every tear from every sorrowing eye. That's what the resurrection means. It means that sickness and sadness and grieving and mourning and weeping will be no more. This moment is coming, friends. It will surely come. How do we know? It's Jesus' resurrection. That's how we know. Now, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. <laughs> and God, here we are, a group of people, stilling ourselves for the moment, being quiet. And we are acknowledging that we need your presence and we need your power, the power of the resurrected Jesus in our lives. And I'm just guessing, Father, that there may be some of us here who have never committed our lives to you before. And I would encourage you to do it now. God, would you work in them? Would you 
call them to yourself? Would you convince them of your love? Would you overwhelmingly convince them, God, that Jesus died for them and for their sins and that Jesus came back from the dead? And you can embrace and receive this gift right now. It's very simple. All you need to pray is say something like this, God, I confess my sin. I turn from it. And I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me as a gift of grace. God, be my savior, be my redeemer, be my leader, be that to me forever. God loves doing that. God, would you bring your resurrection power to every man and woman and every young person who needs it right now? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to join me for lunch. Not today. (laughs) But I do mean this. Next week, April the 8th, and the Sunday after that, April the 15th, uh, we're going to have a a time after our second service. It'll be about 12.15. We're going to have lunch. We're going to talk about what a decision like that means, and uh, just as importantly, about baptism, which is a sign of making that decision. And if you've got any confusion around baptism... If you just prayed that prayer, please plan to join us one of those two Sundays, next Sunday or the Sunday after. Again, 1215. Uh, there's a, actually a sign up on the table out, out there in the um, lobby and uh, to indicate it. That way we be sure and have enough food for you. Otherwise, I won't get any food. Um, we'd love to have you join us and we'd love to have that conversation with you. That's uh, really the most, it's about the most important decision that a human being will ever make because it'll give you a new identity. It'll give you a new power. It'll give you a new hope and it'll give you a new purpose. And that, I promise you, is true. That's what Jesus has done in my life. Now, a moment ago, I said we were going to do this. I said, I'm going to say, don't say anything yet. Don't say anything. First service blew this royally. Don't say anything till I tell you. Um, I'm going to say Jesus Christ is risen, and then I want you to respond with a thoughtful, powerful, reflective wow, okay? This is going to be the wow to beat all wows. So stand with me. Jesus Christ is risen. What a gift. What a gift. What a great thing to celebrate. Wow.